This is FBG Jen. And FBG Kristen. And I'm FBG Margot, host and producer. You're listening to the podcast that will help you keep a lid on the junk in the trunk and inspire you to live a happy and confident life. Each episode, we chat with motivational experts and celebs and share our own candid adventures in being healthy. If you're looking for a podcast that's equal parts hilarious and enlightening, well then welcome to the Fit Bottomed Girls podcast. Life is too short to waste time on things that just aren't important. And you weren't put here to worry about your weight or the number on the scale. If you're ready to break free from all that diet culture BS, if you're ready to take your power back, check out fitbottomgirls.com forward slash coaching to learn more about our signature online program, Love Your Body, Love Your Life. Welcome back to the Fit Bottom Girls podcast. This is FBG Margot, and on the line today, we have FBG Jen. Hey. And we have FBG Kristen. Hi, guys. And guys, we have Ben Bergeron on the show today. Woohoo! Woo! All right, so Ben is a very well-known CrossFit coach, and he owns a CrossFit box as well, a gym. And I found this conversation to be, uh, like, so fascinating and so interesting because he does top, he does coach some of the top CrossFit athletes, which is so interesting to kind of get a little backstory as to how he trains them and coaches them mentally and physically. And I don't know, I find the whole, like, the the people who do CrossFit, I find just fascinating at the elite level to see what they can do and how hard they can push themselves. And it's crazy. Um, and with the CrossFit games coming up, we thought that this interview would be really, really timely, but whether or not you're like do CrossFit or interested in CrossFit or watch it on TV, this interview just has a whole lot in it. And he had some really interesting takes on goal setting and the, he calls it whoopee, which I thought he was. He does call it whoopee. It is whoopee. Like a different twist on, on smart goals. Yeah. And he goes into that. Like he explains what it is and gives, gives really nice tangible examples of, of what each of those steps looks like. So that was, I remember after we finished this interview that I was kind of thinking through some of the goals that I've had in mind and trying to, trying to apply this a little bit more to to what I want to do. And it does change the way I, it changed the way I looked at things. So I think that you guys are going to be, so even if you're like not crossfitty, you know, like there's still a lot of value in this. He is a smart, interesting dude. <laughs> I like how we use CrossFit as an adjective, like yes. crossfitty. Like, are you like kind of crossfitty or like full on crossfitty or like not yeah. crossfitty at all? Um, I also was thinking some, some about his philosophy on goals and it, it kind of in some ways, see if you agree with this falls into almost kind of like a law of attraction type stuff with the focus on feeling and hopes and intentions and things like that. I got a little, there's kind of a, a hippy dippy vibe to it, even though he's not hippy dippy at all. I don't think. Yeah, I can see that. That's an That's interesting what... take. Yeah. I don't know. I thought about it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> he He's also really, really close to his wife and she is a blogger as well. We mentioned her on the show and he's just a really nice guy. And one of the things I really appreciate him because, because you all know, we all have friends that are just like super into CrossFit 
and you know post the pictures of the wads and all that kind of stuff and one thing i don't like about crossfit is this fetishizing of how hard it is and it's so hard that you're gonna puke you know and and i hate that i just feel like that's the story that's brought up and ben is like no no that's not okay you know he he explains what you know what it is to work intensely and safely for you and i love that yeah it was very inclusive Yes. Yes. For as high, a high of a level that he trains athletes. Oh yeah. It was it was very much like anyone could come into his gym and he could work with anyone, which was really really cool. And you know what else is really cool? What stickers? stickers. <laughs> we have Fit Bottom Girls stickers, and they are adorable. So if you guys are interested, send us an email podcast at fitbottomgirls.com, and we will send a couple of them to you in the mail. Be sure to follow us on all the social media. It's either Fit Bottom Girls or Fit Bottom Girl, depending on the platform. Wherever you get, by the way, wherever you get your podcast, please be sure to subscribe. That way you'll never miss an episode. But if you leave a five-star review in Apple Podcasts slash iTunes, we will read it on the air. So, guys, let's get ready with Ben. Why, why don't we? Let's do it. Do it. What do it. Diets and restrictions don't work. After years of experience in our own lives and with thousands of readers, listeners, and followers, we know that the information and formula in our signature online program, Love Your Body, Love Your Life, does. And by listening to this podcast, you can save 20% when you use the code FBGPODCAST. So sign up and save at fitbottomgirls.com forward slash coaching. Ben Bergeron trained some of the world's fittest athletes. A former Ironman triathlete turned CrossFit Games competitor, Ben has coached athletes to six world championships. As coach to the reigning fittest man and fitness woman on earth, he is considered one of the top coaches in the sport of CrossFit. He founded CrossFit New England in 2007, where he coaches regular people on their quest to improve their fitness, health, and approach to life beyond the gym. He currently programs for tens of thousands of competitive athletes on both Comp Train and Comp Train Masters and shares best practices for gym owners and coaches through seminars and events around the world. Welcome to the show, Ben. Thank you. Hello, and this is FBG Margo on the line today. We have FBG Jen. Hello. And we have FBG Kristen. Hey. And Ben, I'm going to ask you the first question. Can you please start just by telling us how you got involved with CrossFit and how it has changed over the years? So, um, yeah, happy to. I I got involved in CrossFit because I was um, I was a personal trainer before that. Kind of found it organically way back in the day, around 2005, 2006. But my kind of backstory before becoming a trainer was I was doing that kind of the normal finance business stuff that, you know, I was kind of destined to do. We went to school for business and um, kind of doing corporate finance type stuff and, you know, doing the normal nine to five, wearing the, you know, the, the nice clothes and sitting in the cubicle and had no really impetus to change anything in my life, even though I wasn't kind of fulfilled or happy until 9-11 happened. And when 9-11 happened, I was working in a, you know, um, I knew people that were on those planes and it really kind of shook me to my core and forced me to really take a deep, hard look at what I was doing in my life. And I realized that I did not want to go through the next, you know, decades living this kind of like going through the motions and being a trained monkey pushing buttons on a keyboard. I wanted more connection. I wanted more fulfillment. I wanted more meaning and impact in my life. And I, I moved out to 
Wyoming to try and get my life together and figure out what I wanted to do with it. And I eventually settled on becoming a trainer. I thought wait, like, it's something I, I was passionate about anyway. I was doing triathlons at the time. And I, I came back home and started training people in their homes. And I started training people in Globo gyms. And then I became a strength conditioning coach. And while I was doing that strength conditioning stuff, that's when I fell into CrossFit and started doing it with my members, started doing it with myself. I felt like I got in better shape doing three months of CrossFit than I had doing three months of, I'm sorry, three years of Ironman training. And I kind of fell, fell in love with the community and the results. And fast forward, you know, 12 years later, and here we are. Wow. So was it a pretty natural progression then from you going as, to, as I guess, going from a personal trainer to then being, you know, more on the, the coaching side and even more of an in-depth relationship with, with athletes and people? Yeah. So I, I, I did the normal personal training thing that, you you know, you'd see in a, like a health club or, a, you know, um, a normal gym. And then, then I got involved in more like the athlete side of stuff. And I was a strength conditioning coach at one of the elite prep schools in New England, working with the athletes there. And while I was there, I found about I found out about CrossFit and started working with my athletes doing that. And it was just a, such a there was no big one like one aha moment or one big huge leap. It was very kind of like slow and feel it out. I started doing it with my athletes, and then some of my athletes' parents started coming in. I started working with them, and we built up a little following at the school I was working at. And then from there, found a location that we could open up and do the same full time. So I'm curious. I'm the I'm the resident triathlete around here. So I would huh, love to know cool. a little bit. How does your experience, you know, your Ironman past and all of that, do, is there anything that you take from that that helps you be a, a better or a different type of coach in CrossFit, or are they just so different that it really doesn't tie in? You know, I think every experience that you have, you can tie back in some way into some other endeavor, even if the even if it's not perfectly paralleled lines. Um, and while CrossFit certainly is its own sport separate from triathlon, the fact that I had that endurance background has helped me a ton, especially as our sport has evolved. And our sport started off just as, you know, kind of like what people probably interpret CrossFit to be, which is, you know, like gymnastics type stuff and barbells. But it got into, you know, we, we row marathons. They've done triathlons in the competitions. We do biking, running, swimming. So, that skill set and those that kind of training approach and knowing how to get people to stretch out their endurance a little bit has helped me out in, in massive ways that I think it's given me an edge on um, some of the people in the field that have only come up through you know, the sport of CrossFit. You have a post on your blog about the difference between a good coach and a great one. Can you go into that a little bit here today? I think there's a lot of differences between mm -hmm. a good coaches and great coaches. You know, I think that what most people look at with coaching is kind of like the X's and O's of the sport or whatever the specific thing is that they're working on. It's, it's about the skill set. It's about positions. It's about getting people to refine their technique. But to me, that's kind of, that's almost the easy part. I think the harder part and the thing that really makes great coaches great is the ability to connect with the athletes and connect with people on a one-on-one -on -one basis. And to me, coaching is nothing more than any other relationship you'd have, whether it's with your spouse or um, a friend or a teacher, a mentor, a student, or anybody else. All relationships are just built on trust. So if you can put yourself in a position 
you know, I think that a lot of trust is built off of, you know, people say it's um, seeing people, seeing it from other people's points of view. And the big word that we're kind of using that being thrown around a lot is understanding the difference between sympathy and empathy. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of people like, you know, the saying is treat people the golden rule, right? Which is treat people as, as you want to be treated. But I actually think that's a pretty terrible rule because most people don't want to be treated the way you want to be treated. They want to be treated the way they want to be treated. You can understand how those individuals want to be, you know, what, do they respond to um, a little kick in the pants? Do they want to an arm around their shoulder? Do they want to be whispered to? Do they want to be listened to? And to me, the, the deeper side of coaching, the great coaches, and I'm certainly working on it, it are the ones that can kind of get past that hard outer layer and get to the softer, gooier middle where you really can, you know, explore kind of like what really makes people tick. And if you find that, then all the other stuff, the points of performance and the positions and the skills and everything else kind of fall into place. So I've got to ask, how do you, like, what are your methods for determining what it is a person needs or what it is that they want? Like, are there certain questions that you ask when you take an athlete in, or is it something that you look for as you're beginning to work together? I think if there was a, a really good answer to that, coaching relations would be easy. You should ask the right questions. But yeah. <laughs> every every situation is so unique and every individual is unique. So, I mean, there's some there's some easy ones that I, I kind of, I let my athletes know, um, which is every day when we start, I'm going to ask, how are you feeling? And your answer cannot be good. So, because that's what everyone says. Like, how are you feeling today? And they're like, pretty good. Well, that doesn't tell me anything. So, what we do is we kind of break it down into some different categories and we say, so how are you feeling? And they'll say pretty good. And I'll say, I'll look at them and they'll go, right. Okay. And I'll say, so where's your energy level today? And then um, on a scale of one to 10 and then tell me why, what's your uh, muscle soreness like on a scale of one to 10? Tell me why, how eager and excited are you to train today? Tell me on a scale of one to 10 and why. And then from there, that at least gives me some metrics and whether it's all obviously wishy-washy and self-reported and ambiguous, but at least it gets the conversation going. The idea is, you know, I think that if people, it's, you know, what I try and do, and this is my take on coaching. I know it's not everybody's, but my take is working from the inside out and building the character first and understanding and building trust. And if I can, with my athletes, get them to feel like I have their best interest at heart. And the way to do that is to listen to them and, not for me to have like a response or an answer to everything. And when they're done talking, I'm not going to have an immediate response. I want to, I want to have another question that I can follow up with something and try not to dig in too, too hard on like the whys because those become like accusational. Like, why do you feel like that? Why did you do that? Why did you, you know, why are you late to training instead of thinking about things like the hows and the what, like, what could we do different to get you to training on time? Like, how can I be helpful um, to change this in the future? And kind of letting you know that we're on the same side, trying to find solutions and betterment together. And, you know, it starts basically with that, that trust factor. And I really think that building trust is, you know, if it's not 80 or, you know, 80 or 90%, it's, a, it's definitely the majority of all relationships. 
So in your bio, you talk about the mindset of a champion being, you know, pretty rare, but something that every one of us is, is capable of. Can you talk a little mm-hmm. bit more about that, how you develop that in both your, you know, competitive athletes and then just the everyday people you have come into your box? So the way I kind of I developed and developed and work with athletes is this um, kind of bottom up model, which is, you know, the top, which most people and most coaches and athletes are focusing on is like game day strategy. So if we are basketball players, it's are we going to play zone or we play man to man? Are we going to do a pick and roll offense? Or are we going to um, do a dribble drive? You know, it's, and then from there, the next thing they work on is like skill set. Let's get better at dribbling, passing, defense, and shooting. And that's like, but the majority of what teams and individual athletes focus on. And that's certainly what we do as well. But to me, more important than that is the process. And the process is figuring out all of the variables and all of the controllables we should be focusing on that can move the needle for us as an athlete. And it really stems down to about five things, which is your training, your uh, recovery, your nutrition, your sleep, and then your mindset, which is that last one that you, you just alluded to. The mindset one is probably the biggest because it has the most carryover to all the others. And we talk about you know mental toughness, but it goes beyond that. It goes into patience. It goes to grit and fortitude. Um, it goes into positivity. And if there's one kind of like defining characteristic that overarches all of the other ones, Mental toughness is not necessarily what people think it is. It's, it's not this, like, um, I can withstand pain. I can, you know, push those the last 800 meters of the marathon, even though my legs are gone. To me, like, mental toughness is doing the right thing regardless of what's going on around you. And if we were to take a shortcut and a one kind of, like, thing to focus on for our lives of what that looks like, it's simply don't complain. It's never whine, never complain, and never make excuses. And if you eliminate those things, because all those things are doing, all that happens when you're complaining is you're taking your eyes off of the things that you have control over, and you're putting them on other things. It's cold outside. I'm tired. Man, this traffic sucks. I wish my kid wasn't up all night crying. Like When you think about all those things, you're losing sight of the things that you do have control over and if we focus on things you have control over you can influence them move yourself better and put yourself in a better position to be even more productive and be in a better place tomorrow as opposed to the woe is me i feel sorry for myself which are no matter how much you focus on the weather the traffic or your kid crying last night those things are done and they're not going to be able to change them so i really try and get my athletes the mindset of a champion starts with this idea of figure out what it is we can control. And the exercise I bring my athletes through is literally, let's talk about everything. We'll do this exercise. We grab a whiteboard and what's everything that we could possibly talk about this season. We could talk about the weather. We could talk about what workouts might pop up. We could talk about who we have to compete against. We have to talk about, um, is it going to be 90 degrees when we're competing or is it going to be cold and rainy? And let's figure out and categorize them. Is these things that we should be focusing on or are these things that we should just, when they happen, just recognize that they're happening and let them roll off our shoulders. If we can do that, we are starting to develop the mindset of a champion. On your podcast, Chasing Excellence, 
you talked, I really liked this. You talked about the mistaken belief that if you throw up during every workout, then you're really working hard. And especially with CrossFit, it's been fetishized, like that whole thing of, oh man, I worked out so hard, I puked every day. It's like, can you please talk about why that is not ideal for most people and what high intensity really means? In CrossFit, I love that we're talking about this because it's probably the like most misunderstood thing about CrossFit. People see the CrossFit games or they see you know, people with these home videos post on YouTube or they hear the stories of people working out so hard that they're throwing up or they work out so hard that they're so sore they can't you know, get off the toilet the next day and you know, they can't go to have to take six days from work because they're so sore. That's not – that just – it's a misrepresentation of, of what it is that we operate by. We operate by a, uh, a threefold principle, which is mechanics, consistency, then and only then relatively high intensity, which means we want to work on the mechanics first. We want to get you moving well first. We want to get you to move appropriately. So it's not about just kind of like, you know, throwing caution in the wind and see how fast we can do this thing. Then it's consistency. We want you doing this four, five, six days a week. And we want you to be able to move well, not only when coaches watch you, but when we're not watching you as well. Then we'll layer in this intensity level, which is simply relatively high intensity. What that means is it's, it's working out at a level that causes a it's higher than you're used to going. And that doesn't mean laying on the floor after in a puddle of your own fluids. It doesn't need to be that. It's just working out to a little bit where you're like, whoo, that was a good workout. If you do that, you're forcing your body to adapt. You're forcing an adaptation that will cause you to be better, fitter, stronger, fitter, leaner, whatever it is tomorrow. We want to exercise at our psychological and physical tolerances. So if you go to a gym and the coach is, yelling at you like one more rep go 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 and you hate that that's exceeding your psychological tolerance that's not what we want to that's not the approach and similar if you go and do it by yourself but you work out so hard that you're puking at the end you've exceeded your physiological tolerance it's like that's not the way to get the best response out of this thing crossfit is constantly varied functional movements performed at relatively high intensity not maximal intensity so relative is relative to you so you are probably fitter than your grandmother so your intensity level will be higher but you're probably not as fit as people that win the crossfit games so your intensity level will be lower it's also relatively a high intensity not maximal you don't need to go to the point where you can't see straight and it takes you 10 minutes to get off the floor at the end of your workouts you just have to work hard and it's Working hard is different from day to day. Some days you have a little bit more and you're willing to give a little more. Other days you don't and you shouldn't. So with the CrossFit games, you know, always changing things up, always, it's always a new thing. Um, I know you talked about this a little bit when you're talking about your, your past as an Ironman. Um, how do you, how do you coach for that? How do you train for anything under the sun? We basically take the, um, cause you're exactly right. When we go to the CrossFit games, we don't know what we're going to be tested on. We don't know if we're going to be swimming, biking, running, rowing, lifting weights, climbing mountains, um, doing pull-ups, doing obstacle courses. Um, we don't know what the test is going to be. So in order to train for that, we try and train for everything. Now it's an impossibility. So what we try to do is we try and take the things with the greatest carryover effect. So we know that there are certain movements in exercise that give you a bigger physiological 
adaptation than others. So you get more bang for your buck from doing constantly very functional movements performed at relatively high intensity than you do always, always, always doing Pilates. Like we, it's just, it's the thing that we figured out, like that's going to carry over to, if you only do Pilates and they ask you to deadlift, you know, 400 pounds, you're going to be in a tough spot. If you only deadlift 400 pounds and then they ask you to hike a mountain, you know, which we've done, you know, hike seven miles through the mountains, which they've had to do, you're going to be in trouble there. So we try and find the things that have the biggest carryover effect. And then if there's um, some, something that kind of shows up in the past, we're going to bring that into our repertoire. So like paddle boarding, um, paddling has shown up, obviously swimming, all things, the normal things that have shown up. Um, but obstacle courses are things that we do now. So you kind of look at the past tests. Anything that's been in the past test, we want to be ready for, um, like pegboards and you know muscle-ups and gymnastic type stuff, walking on your hands over obstacles. But the, the majority of our training lies in these kind of like really um, foundational um, strength and conditioning movements and routines. I would love to pick your brain a little bit on like goal setting and expectation setting, because, you know, even if you are able to get every single one of your athletes really, truly mentally tough, the fact is, is that, you know, people do have different physical limitations. Mm -hmm. So how do you help your athletes set challenging goals that are, that are still achievable for them? And kind of along with that, I'm curious if you have any tips for people who maybe don't have a coach that's quite as insightful as you, if there are ways that they can, you know, that they can set those for themselves. So goals are a tricky one. (laughs) I'm a very, I would like to say I'm a very goal oriented person. And, you know, as I learned about, you know, setting smart goals, you know, specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, time bound, you know, you get a little more excited, you get a little more, um, they get a little stickier, but the, the truth is I, I don't really believe in goals. I just think that goals are not the differentiator. So if you talked to 100 people and all 100 of those people had the goal of losing 15 pounds over the next six months, the, the people that achieve the goal and the people that don't, the goal is not the differentiator. So it's not about making better goals, which is what I, when I first came up through coaching, that's what my impression was like. Okay, we have to be better at making better goals. And that's why I got so excited about SMART goals, because that made sense to me. It's like the goal cannot be to get in shape. It's got to be to lose 10 pounds. It can't just be to lose 10 pounds. It's got to be by a certain date. And now we're getting somewhere. The way I look at goals now is more of um, so it's a, it's a little bit different of an acronym. Instead of SMART, it's um, WHOOPI, W-H-O-O-P-I. And this is a little bit more, it's, it's, it, it kind of, refine things a little bit more. I'm going to go through this. This could be a huge discussion, but I'll go through it really quickly. Um, the WH is the wish and the hope. That's essentially the goal. I want to get in better shape. Okay. Then from there, it is, what is the objective, the specific objective? And we're still kind of in that smart world. It's like, it's not getting better shape. It's that I want to run a marathon in under four hours. I want to lose 30 pounds. Okay. But then that can't be enough. So then what's the second O? And the second O is the obstacles. And what that means is, what what are the things that are going to get in your way like what is what are the things that are going to um lose everything that could set you off like if your goal is that you want to run a marathon well what's what like what could keep knock you off your track well 
you know that you have to be the best man in your brother's wedding, and that's you know a weekend before the mar- two weekends before for the marathon. So you might not be able to train that weekend. And you live in the Northeast, so it's going to snow. And you work a full time job, and you have a family, so you have very limited time. So now you set up all of these things. It's basically the opposite of what everyone else does, which is they just wish and hope and wish and hope and wish and hope. It's the opposite of like, what are all things that can go wrong? And then from there, you set up a plan. And the plan is, here's what I need to do. It's that I'm going to run. I know I need to run. If I'm going to do the marathon, I'm going to run four days a week, and I'm going to log in 20 miles a week or whatever it ends up being. And then from there, the next part is the W-H-O-O-P. Now we have I. And the I is the, the one that I believe is the most important. It's where you identify yourself as the type of person that does this. And when the bad thing happens that throws you off track, you stick to your plan because you say, I am the type of person that gets up at 5 a.m. every morning and goes running regardless of how cold it is outside. And when you can internalize that, when you can say that with conviction, I am the type of person that even if my brother is getting married, I'm going to get up at three in the morning to make sure I get this run in. Then all of a sudden it becomes something a little more powerful and more meaning because you're, you're putting your identity tied to the goal. And that's a whole different place than I want to lose 10 pounds by September 1st. Now, if I am the type of person that does not eat junk food, I am the type of person that has salad for every lunch and dinner. I am the type of person that says no to the cookies at the office. I am the type of person that while everyone else is eating from the bread basket at dinner, I say no. And then from there, W-H-O-O-P-I-E, the last E is we talk is cheap. It's not what we talk about. It's what we tolerate. So the last E is you have to execute on it. And if we don't execute on it, then it's again when this, this loop where everyone else is with goals, which is they just wish and hope and wish and hope and talk. And here's the trouble with it. When we talk about goals, your body actually, like subconsciously, it's the reason we like to talk about them. You, you actually get a dopamine and you get a little hormonal response that like, you actually feel like you're achieving the goals. If I talk about like, I'm going to, I'm going to run a marathon. I'm going to run a marathon. I'm going to run, as I'm doing that, I'm feeling good and feeling good. Your body is actually like giving you little bits of credit and making you feel good about talking about it. But we have not yet done anything yet to move us any steps closer to that. So we have to execute on it. It's not what we talk about. It's what we tolerate. We have to tolerate action. It's the only thing that moves us towards our goals. So it's not about goals are, you know, they're, they're a little bit more layered, I think, than just setting goals or setting good goals. You have to basically like figure out what could go wrong and then tie your identity to them and then truly execute on the plan. You are a strong proponent of having recovery time. Uh, what does that mean to you and how much recovery is necessary for, let's say, the average athlete versus a pro? I guess it kind of depends on what we're talking about with an average athlete. Um, a person that's trying to, you know, go for um, a, a couple mile run every morning and maybe they go to the gym once or twice a week. For those type of people, the recovery is not, it's not a huge deal. It's, you know, as long as they're getting their sleep and they're eating well and they're lowering their stress levels throughout the day and they have the right mindset. They don't need to be spending an extra, you know, half hour, hour, you know, foam rolling, getting massages, go to get ART, getting 
you know, cryo tanks and deprivation tanks and all that stuff. But as you become more and more elite, the margins of um, advantage get slimmer and slimmer and slimmer. You know, so if we can get a half percent better, you know, we would we would sacrifice a lot for a half a percent. It's also as you take on more and more and more, you're putting more stress and wear and tear on your body. The recovery becomes more and more important. So if you're a normal everyday gym goer, which is going to the gym or taking a CrossFit class or going to spin um, four or five days a week for 45 minutes to an hour, recovery is not going to play a huge part in your overall health and wellness. But if you are trying to basically like push the potentials of you as a human being from a physiological standpoint, then, you know, if you're working out three, like my, my elite athletes, um, the ones that are working out being the best in the world, train for um, five to eight hours a day in the gym. That's really important for them to do everything that they possibly can to recover between training sessions. Because at that point, it's he or she who recovers fastest and best actually wins because they can come back and have a more quality, bigger um, training session than their competitors. If you do that over 12 months, you end up at a vastly different place than the other person. So what we look for for our elite athletes is it becomes very important is, you know, anywhere from an hour to three hours of recovery a day. And that's all sorts of different tips, tricks, and tools, anything from the, you know, the cheap person's massage, which is like a foam roller, to stretching, to meditation, to an Epsom salt bath, to contrast, um, you know, whether it's showers or tubs, to um, actual massage therapy, ART, chiropractors, um, to deprivation tanks. You know, we kind of um, uh, muscular stem units that our athletes fly with and travel with. And we have like Normatec systems, which are these uh, like big boots that go all the way up your thigh that um, contract and kind of push blood through your body. So, you know, it's kind of the spectrum of where we are on our, you know, athletic journey and what our back to the, back to the goals, but the goals of what we're trying to accomplish that, that kind of plays the biggest role in how much recovery we want to be focusing on. Wow. So who, who are you working with right now on the elite side? And is there anyone I guess new that we should all keep our eyeballs on <laughs> for this year's games. Yeah, so, yeah. So on the on the on the CrossFit side of things, I have three athletes that I work with on a um, on a very personal daily basis. Catherine David Sauter, who's won the CrossFit Games twice, she's in my gym every day, and I work with her for hours a day. Um, I have two other elite individuals, Brooke Wells, um, who lives in Oklahoma. She's finished in the top ten a few times. I mean, she's certainly a person to watch. She's doing phenomenal in training this year. And then Cole Sager, who lives in Washington State, and he's also been a top 10 games athlete for a number of years. And then my coaching staff is working with a few others as well. And probably the, the top one of those to keep your eyes on is Amanda Barnhart, who was a rookie last year at the CrossFit Games, um, but won, won, she came in first place in one of the events there and has is turning herself into a well-rounded athlete this year. And she should... Um, do phenomenal. She's in, I think, fourth or fifth place in the world in the in the CrossFit Open right now. So she's she's definitely an athlete to watch. Well, we've talked a lot about your athletes now and about your coaching, but could you tell us a little bit about your own fitness routine and and what your recovery looks like and how you know maybe how that's changed over the years or maybe it hasn't. Certainly has. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I used to, as as I kind of said, I used to be like. 
you know, put a lot of time into my own training, you know, with, when you're an iron student trying to compete for Ironman, it's, it's, you know, 25 hours a week of training. I am now not in that place at all. Uh, family, business, coach, and all the rest. I work, I get up at uh, 5.25 every morning and I work out from 6.15 to 8.15 every morning. I take the class at my gym, the 6.30 class, with um, all my members and led by one of our coaches. And then after that, I do another 45 minutes or so of additional stuff, but it's not straight through for those two hours. It's work hard, really hard. You know, it's warm up, warm up, warm up, work hard for 15 to 20 minutes, cool down, work sort of hard for another 10, 15, 20 minutes, and then cool down again. I do that five or six days a week. It's usually six days a week unless I'm skiing on the weekends. And in terms of recovery, I'm, I'm kind of the athlete that we that's on the other end of the spectrum. I don't do a lot for recovery other than trying to take care of my nutrition, um, my mindset, and my sleeping. But in terms of all of the other stuff, the only things I'm really doing is I go for a um, kind of like a deep tissue athletic massage every other week. That's about it. I actually think that body work, like professional body work, it's, you had an unlimited budget and availability to a pro of all the things you could do, that is the best one. I am in 100% agreement there. It's a huge difference when I'm actually making that a priority versus, you know, not. Yeah. Um. It's amazing on so many different levels. Like from the physiological standpoint, what's happening with like the muscles and the tissue and all that stuff. But then also from, I think the most overlooked is you're, we live such busy, chaotic, stressful lives, you know, and it's giving you that 60 or 90 minutes to fall into that like parasympathetic nervous system, that like rest and digest in this meditative state and kind of like disconnect. And um, I almost think like that forced 60 minute meditation is as powerful as what you're getting from the physiological side of, of, of that hour, 90 minute massage. So that's, I want to follow up on this because you know, what you're talking about there comes into a topic that comes up with a lot of people who we interview, which is the idea of balance. Um, you know, when you've got family, you mentioned you've got your workouts, you've got your family, you've got your business. How do you feel like, like, what are your, how do you feel about keeping that balance, you know, balancing family, keeping that a priority while still maintaining everything else that you're doing? So I think balance is individualized. I don't think having a balanced life is should be the objective of everybody. And I use, um, so I am shooting for balance in my life. I think balance is what is going to lead me to ultimate fulfillment and happiness and being on my deathbed and looking back and being like, I'm so glad that that worked out the way that I wanted to. But I know that's not the right path for everybody. Working with my elite athletes, they do not have balance in their lives at all. It is so tilted towards the performance and the career and the athletics and everything else. And most world-class achievers are that, whether it's Elon Musk or Steve Jobs or Michael Phelps or Kobe Bryant or um, Serena Williams or whoever it might be, these world-class performers do not have balance. So I think a big thing for people to, you know, for me, it was that realization of like, what should I be chasing? Because, to me, I think my biggest fear in life, I, and, you know, it's not spiders, it's not heights, it's not death. It's, it's for me that my biggest fear is spending time on things that ultimately are not going to matter. And 
that's what I'm trying to like find balance in my life. So what I've done, I'm, 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 I'm very kind of systematic. I, I, I categorize my life in five different categories. I want to live, love, lead, learn, and leave a legacy. So my five L's. And from there, so this is how I find balance. From there, I have five kind of things I'm tracking in each of those categories. And I spent about three years every single day tracking how I was doing on those things. So for one of them, it's I want to love. So that has to do with my family. So I want to be present. I want to be around my family. So one of the things I was doing was every single day, no matter what, during the week, I'm going to be home by 6 o'clock. It doesn't matter if I'm in the middle of a podcast or a meeting or a project. When the clock hits 5.35, I have to be walking out the door at work. And people around me know this now. It's like it'll happen. And it's like I'll just in the middle. The, the meeting will still be going on. And I'll just get up and leave because, to me, I want to make sure that that's a hard line. I'm a big believer in, you know, drawing deep lines in the sand, having bright lines of knowing whether you're achieving it or not. Similar ones in that kind of love category is, I call my mom and my dad, you know, twice every week. It's um, things like when I go home, when I go home at six o'clock, I, I plug my phone in upstairs and I'm not checking my phone. I don't bring my computer home. So when I'm home, I'm having, you know, I'm connecting and I'm there. We have family dinner, which took us a long time to put into place. It's amazing how hard that is. But I think one of the things we were doing was we were waiting for perfect and, our, our kids are all over the place. We have an 18-year-old, a 14-year-old, a 6-year-old, and a 4-year-old. They're all busy. And we would wait till like, okay, not everyone's here. Let's not have the family dinner. And we just changed that. We were like, whoever is here, we are going to sit down and eat together. So we went from having, it's a little embarrassing, but probably maybe two family dinners a month to having probably five a week now. And it's been a kind of a game changer. That's, so that's huge. Like, I have those, I kind of have those different, like, uh, you know, call it principles or values, whatever you want to call it. And then a performance metrics for each one of those things to make sure I'm living with balance. Cause that is what I am chasing. That is what I want. I want to be a great dad. I want to be a great husband. I want to be a great coach. I want to be a great business leader. I want to have uh, my own hobbies and health. So I don't want to go so deep into one of those, which I think people very easily kind of justify in their lives. Like, okay, I'm starting a business. I'm going to go all in for five years and then I'll sell the business and then I'll pull back and then I'll kick it with my family and, you know, have a really great relationship with my, with my, my kids. And I just don't, maybe because it's what I've seen. I don't see that happening. I see people busting it really hard, working really hard, but they let their health go. They let their relationships go. They let their friends go. And when they try and come back to it five or 10 years later, those things are gone. You know, I use the analogy, imagine life is a game in which you're trying to juggle five different balls. And those balls are called work, family, health, um, faith, or whatever you want to call that, and whatever else it is, maybe like hobbies. What you realize is that as you're trying to juggle all of these balls, they're all made of glass. And if you drop one of them, they could get scuffed or cracked or God forbid they could get shattered and never get back to where they are. Except my take on this, except for one of those, one of those balls you're juggling is actually made of rubber. And it's the only one that will actually bounce back. 
and that's work and career. If you have a major setback in work career, you can recover from that. But if you have a major setback in your health, you might not come back from that. If you have a major setback in relationship with your wife or your um, husband or your significant or your kids, you might not come back from that. So I would keep that in the back of my mind. Like it's so easy for us to lean into careers or whatever it might be. I really think that that's the only one that is not as important as we've been told growing up in this society of, you know, work hard, work hard, work hard, 65, retire and kick it. I follow your wife on Instagram, by the way, Heather, and you two <laughs> are beyond adorable. I, I love your relationship. You, no, have, you, have, so nice. you have relationship goals for me, the way you both speak about one another and how much you appreciate each other. Can you just talk about how you both met and how do you keep that relationship healthy and happy after all these years? Uh, well, first of all, that's so nice. And anybody that follows my wife, she is a complete open book. Like, mm -hmm. like most people have met, like most people have never seen before. She has a blog. Her name is Heather. So it's Heather Bergeron. And she has a blog called hbunfiltered.com. And it is very raw and very unfiltered. So in this kind of like small public life that people live now where everyone's on social media she puts a lot of our, our lives out there so i appreciate you saying that it's really very nice we met i was a personal trainer at a global gym and she was this is so cliche it's almost and she was an aerobics instructor <laughs> so um we met cute. At, That's so cute <laughs> yeah <laughs> so we we met at a at a gym and then fast forward a few years later and got married in 2009. We now have, um, you know, our, our small family. And in terms of, you know, the way that we try to have a, have a strong relationship, it's, you know, I don't think there's any one thing. It's, and it's all, to me, it's like all the tiny things. And Heather writes about this, you know, as, as I'm trying to figure out what I'm saying here, I'm just like, Heather would have such a better answer for this. Like, she writes about this all the time. She's so good with her words and so open about it. But I, I think it's all the small things. It's looking at, it's the way you look at people and it's the tonality and the way you talk to people. It's the listening, not waiting for your turn to talk. And it's the making the time and the effort to make the other person feel incredibly valued. I, I kind of fall back on one of the early lessons I learned when I was kind of digging into personal relationships and I was doing it for the coaching side of things, but you know, just assume that the other person wants, like is trying really hard. And if something's not going well, it's your fault. So bring it back to you. And what can you do to show more love, to show more feeling, to show more empathy, to show more respect, to show more care, to spend more time. Um, I think if you do that, then it gets reciprocated. I think what people, some people might be doing is kind of waiting. They want, they're waiting for the other person to show love, to show respect, to show care, to show wants, to show desires. And if you play that, that's games. And we're just so, if there's one thing that our relationship doesn't have, it's games. We just like, we've, that's, you know, I was so attracted to the fact that Heather makes me such a better person when I'm around her. I felt like more myself with her than I had ever felt with anybody else. And that's so empowering and so such a turn on that it's like you, you, you want to reciprocate it back. And I think that kind of creates this upward cycle as opposed to 
you know, the downward cycle that I think some relationships can find themselves in. That's so sweet. I feel like we could have aired this around like Valentine's Day or something. Like, it's <laughs> like, relationship advice. Uh, I know. So I think we want to be um, conscious of your time here. And I'm wondering, is there anything we have covered, like so many different things. Is there anything we haven't touched on that you would like to speak about? You know, I like talking about everything in terms of like fitness coaching and, you know, yeah, I, I love the balance question stuff like that. I would say, you know, in terms of just like as a, I, from your audience, if I was, if I was kind of, there's just people that are kind of like looking to get fit. And if you're trying to look or looking to get in more in shape or living to learn, live healthier lives, it's, to me, it's like, it's not a matter of any one thing. It's how are you doing in a few major categories? And it's, what are you eating? So it's your nutrition. It's what are you doing through your training? So it's, you're working out. It's how is your sleep? It, it is, um, how is your mindset? And then how are your relationships? So we call, I call those the five factors and it's, you know, eat, sleep, train, mindset, and relationships. So if you go to the doctor, most doctors would basically say, you know, okay, you need to get in better shape or we're going to have to put you some medication. This is what a good doctor would say. A bad doctor would just put you on medication. A good doctor would say, so I need you to eat better and exercise more. Well, I think that that just gets kind of, there's a lot of variabilities in that. So you know, a big kind of like driving home thing for that, if I had to say one thing for eat better, it's get off of the processed foods. You know, it's don't eat things that um, come in boxes or bags or have shelf life. I can dive down crazy rabbit holes and talk about, you know, gut microbiome and blood levels and all the rest that we can kind of geek out about. And we do that with our athletes and we do everything from, you know, um, sweat tests and stool samples and blood testing to try and like fine tune it. But even at that super high level, a lot of it comes back to just this really big picture thing of eat real food. And it's so important. In terms of training, it's what we already talked about. It's constantly varied, functional with that relatively high intensity. So don't do the same thing every day, constantly varied. Functional movements. So make sure that these are things that you do in real life. So don't sit on a machine. The machine is not going to translate to the real world. Instead, grab some dumbbells. It doesn't matter how heavy they are. Grab some light dumbbells or don't use weight at all, but do some squats and some push-ups and go for runs. And then from there, try and work at a, you know, if you're reading while you're doing this, if you can hold the conversation while you're doing this, for most people, that's probably not enough intensity to elicit a response. So constantly varied functional at relatively high intensity. You know, the sleep thing, it's super important. It matters a ton, you know, and the easy part is to start with uh, if you're not getting seven hours, you're in sleep deprivation. You're going to be putting, you're getting worse. If you're at seven to eight, you're holding strong. And for most people, if you're eight plus, you're in a good place. After nine, it gets, uh, this is hours. After nine hours, it, it's kind of really individual whether there's any benefit at all. And then it becomes a quality thing. Like, and just Google, like, improve sleep quality. You'll see things like blackout lights and white noise and sleeping between 62 and 68 degrees and certain pillows and positions and all the other stuff. The next one's mindset. We talked about it a little bit. Guys, one quick thing, never whine, never complain, never make excuses, find out what you have control over and let everything else go. And then the last one actually is the biggest one, which is relationships. If you have a few, it doesn't have to be a lot, but super deep, meaningful relationships, not people that you talk about clothes with, that you talk about politics with, that you talk about what's on TV or those things, but you talk about, 
your dreams, your hopes, your fears. You laugh with them, really deeply laugh with them, and you cry with them, and you share your passions. And if you have a few of those relationships where really lots of trust built in, that actually supersedes all the other four in terms of who lives the longest, healthiest lives. The people with the best, most deep, meaningful relationships, not in number, but in depth, live the longest, most productive, happy lives that are free of disease. So really, I know we touched on the, the, the relationship thing a little bit at the end there. If there's one place to kind of double down, it would be there. Ben, could you tell our listeners where they can find you online and on social media? And if they're interested in working with you, is that an option? Yep, sure. So a few different places. For, um, our, our, our gym is CrossFitNewEngland.com. You can check out there. It's in Natick, Massachusetts. Um, we have an online training platform for kind of um, people that are higher level athletes, but it's called Comp Train, C-O-M-P, Train, T-R-A-I-N, CompTrain.co. On myself, I'm on Instagram at, at Ben Bergeron. There's a website, BenBergeron.com. And if people wanted to train and work with us, those are the two options. There's uh, online, if you're not around, CompTrain.co. But if you're around here, uh, we take athletes. And when I say athletes, it, no, we call everyone in our gym athletes. Anybody from any fitness level, we have people that are trying to lose 200 pounds and you know, get off diabetes medication. People coming back from cancer and adaptive athletes that are missing limbs. Right up to you know super elite athletes. Nobody is, you know. I, I one of my big pet peeves is when people say like I want to get in shape before I start CrossFit. That's that's what we're here to do is to help people learn. That'd be like saying um, I want to learn to play guitar before I take lessons. It's like it just it just doesn't really make sense. So we would love for people to um, come check us out. Give us a call, send us an email, or reach out through social, and um, love to start a deep, meaningful, impactful relationship. Well, we just have just one more question, if that's okay. We ask this of everyone that appears yeah. on the show. Okay. So, Ben, what was the last song you listened to before you did this podcast interview? I don't know the answer to that because I'm in the gym all the time and there's music playing all the time and I am not a list. I don't hear music. So ah. I don't know what it was. So, like, people all the time are like, you know, they'll be working on like, can you change the music? Can you turn it up? Like, I love this song. I don't even, I don't hear it. So I don't know the answer to that. <laughs> I know fair. like, and, and the other, uh, so it's just, it's so contrasting with my wife. Like my wife, Heather can re like she hears a song and she can say the lyrics to every song she's heard. She knows them all. I couldn't tell you the lyrics to any song at all. <laughs> I don't, that's fair. It's, I don't hear them. It's really strange. I feel like it's like a, you know, whatever the opposite of superpower is. <laughs> Use your superpower. It's my kryptonite. Superpowers, your brain's used in other ways. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for appearing on the show today. It was fantastic talking to you. Oh, I appreciate it, guys. Thank you. Love this show? Tell us why in a five-star review on iTunes, and we'll read it on the air. Also, make sure you are a subscriber. If you want to reach out to say hi or have a question about a recent episode, yay, well, feel free to email us at podcast at fitfoundgirls.com. And if this podcast jives perfectly with your brand, consider sponsoring the show. Get more info by emailing advertising at fitbottomgirls.com. Find all kinds of Fit Bottom goodness online and on social media at Fit Bottom Girls, Fit Bottom Mamas, Fit Bottom Eats, and Fit Bottom Zen. 
And if books and movies are your thing, check out the other podcast I co-host called Book vs. Movie, which you can find anywhere where you search for podcasts. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.